Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. We have sort of two different uh, topics we wanted to discuss today, which are connected very much. And so um, we spoke a little earlier in the class of the New Orleans group a little bit about changing of names, but I think there's sort of two connected things in this episode, changing of names, but also changing of identities. Um, And often those two things connect and overlap, right? You change your name because you want to change your identity um, in certain cases. Now, sometimes people change their names um, because of sickness and things like that, that they want to add a name that relates to health or so, you know, something along those lines. There's an idea in Masechet um, Rosh Hashanah that one of the four ways to change, you know, to, to get your, you know, the bad decrees written about you on Rosh Hashanah to be uh, torn up is to change your name, in addition to giving tzedakah and to prayer and to um, changing your deeds. So that's like one way of, one context of changing of names. Um, but in our episode, it's a different context. It's sort of, I mean, we have, we have two different name changes in this episode, right? Or at least we're told about two different name changes. You know, one is Reut. Reut means friendship, by the way, for people, right? Um, so you sort of see Reut as they're just talking about names, be like, well, my name means friendship. And it's and actually like, said in the Misha Barach to change her name. I don't know if anybody else picked up on that. Wait. He used her name in the Misha Barach that he gave her for the new name. He used the word Reut. That's like part of the formula of that Misha Barach you're saying? I don't know if it is traditionally, but it was mm. in the Misha Barach that he gave her. I can look it up. I have it right there oh, if you want. But anyway, but you can continue. I just thought that was really interesting. In that was interesting. Yeah, I mean, we say right, that Reut is one of the things in the Sheva Barach, right? Yeah. Shalom so, Reut. So, like, it's not a bad thing, but I think her sense was Reut is, like, friendship. It's, you know, but I, like, can't always just be the friend. I, like, so, you know, I want things for me. Um, and my name symbolizes the sense of, like, oh, I'm, like, that, I'm that friend. I'm that person who, like, people know they can come to. And, but, like, that's not what I want to be. <laughs> things for me. Yeah, Renee. I have a question about the name changing since you brought up the health thing. When my brother was ill and we added a name for him, they, um, the rabbi said that they, they did it, uh, in the class where my son was because they were not yet bar mitzvah. And he said that it's always better to do the name change in a minyan or whatever of, in a group of, um, young, uh, boys because their neshama is more pure. Oh. So I was just curious whether that kind of thing applied because I know that the, it was the rabbi that did it in the show. If that kind of, if a, just like a stum name change applies to that as well or not? I have never heard that before. I mean, but there was also a minion, I assume, in that room. Uh, yeah, but of only boys. Oh, so it was a like they were 13 or 14 or whatever. Interesting. I've never heard that before. Um, but it's a really interesting idea. Uh, so, yeah, it's not, it's not something I've heard, but that's uh, cool. I found the Misha Barach. I don't know that this is the same Misha Barach that he gave um, because it probably is a different movement. Um, But this one also doesn't have Reut in it. But interestingly, it does have Hodaya in it. (laughs) Um, So funny that there's a different name from from someone in our show. Uh, Debbie. 
So, you know, when you're looking at the two name changes, I mean, I think that uh, Tehila or Gaia um, really is trying to change who she is. Um, Ruth slash Esther, um, she just is the same person. She just is, I mean, I don't think she has that insight or that ability to change, but but Tehila really was making a conscious decision to be a completely different person. So she really took that to heart and used that name change to help her be that new person. Yeah, right. I think there there are a few as as I cut off Rabbi Parnick, so maybe he was going to go into this in a little bit more depth, but there are a few different reasons why you would decide to have a name change to begin with. Um, the one that's most common is an illness that someone either is going through or comes out of on the other side, uh, or just a new identity, right? Someone who wants to, maybe they went through something that was really terrible in their life, or they have become Balchuva and they're now deciding to just take on a different piece of their identity. And so they change their name to then go by a different name. Um, I think that in some ways, Rayut is trying to at least change who she is um, uh, like in her actions, like performatively, right. In terms of knowing that, that her name might mean something uh, that she isn't interested in conveying out to the world. And so now she wants to take on a different identity. Um, I agree with you that she's not like her, her costume isn't changing and she hasn't come up from an illness or anything like that. But it is possible that she is, um, she's like working through this new piece of her identity to be able to uh, have a name that more closely uh, mirrors that who she is, I think. I, I don't think it mirrors who she is at all. I think it just is, she's just like, I'm not getting, I'm not having any luck, you know, yeah, right. with men. Um, right. And people had know me as this certain kind of tough woman. And yeah. You know, maybe if I take a different name, they'll see me differently. But um, that—that's really why she. I well, think. and interestingly, right? I don't know if you picked up on this in the episode, but interestingly, that woman then says to her, "I have this perfect man for you." She thinks, "Oh, this is so wonderful! I changed my name. Bam! I'm going to have a husband." And she ends up going back out on that date with that uh, I thought obnoxious American guy. Uh, is it obnoxious just because he's American? He just was like, I just yeah. didn't like him. Because he's American. <laughs> I thought he was I, on the spectrum. I, oh, I don't think he's not. I, well, whatever. I, I, anyway, I just found him whatever annoying. I wouldn't date him. Fine. Um, but I, I do think that 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 there was something about that in that moment, though, where she was Rayut, and then she was also Esther meeting the same guy, and that she. That, that it seemed to this woman that her qualities matched this person. And clearly the other person who set them up also thought their qualities matched. So to your point, the name really didn't matter. Her qualities are coming through no matter what. Um, but her, her trying to change her name, I think, is her trying to live up to a certain kind of identity that she doesn't yet have. Karen, unless Rai Parnik has something to say. Okay, several things. Um, <clears throat> one, I think she was doing it because of the marriage. I'm the only two people in my whole class. I'm the only one of two that isn't married. And so I have to change my name. That woman didn't know qualities from anything. She just looked at her. And she assumed, right, no wedding band or anything else. 
So I hate to differ with you, but that's what I think. Question. The guy at the airport knew her from before, and they hugged when they first met each other. She doesn't introduce what's his name, and when he goes to hug her, she, now that she's from, right? I mean, I, I was confused by that. I wanted to ask the same question uh, that she went, that was immediate response was the big hug, and she wouldn't let not to even touch her yeah. uh, arm or anything. So what, uh, what happens? Yeah. What's I'll take this one. one. I'll take this one. This is a fun one. Um, as someone who's like, right, myself and also like many people who I know, right, like I grew up not orthodox and so I grew up in a context where like frequently hugging female friends, like that's just normal. Right. Um, and, and that's like one of those things that becomes complicated when you become more religious and like suddenly physical contact, you know, uh, you know, across the gender line is generally, you know, discouraged, if not outright forbidden. Some people are like a hundred percent, you know, will not touch anyone. Like I remember my sister when she became, from like that was a conversation she had with my uncles for example that like i can't hug you anymore um which was like strange because it's like it's our uncles you know but um and then there's people like me who are like more it's like i'm like not i'm a, i would say more wishy-washy in terms of like friends who i you know would hug before like i would still give a half arm hug to sort of similar to Tehillah, where it's sort of like, oh, this is a person who I know from this previous time in my life when this would have been the normal response rather than needing to like step back and explain and whatever. Like, it's just easier to, you know, or, or like that's something you associate with this person. Like, oh, this is a person who like, I, you know, when I see I hug them as opposed to like someone who I know from my from life where when I see them, I don't hug them. Why didn't right? she introduce him? That was also interesting, right? That she could have introduced him and didn't. So that, that I think was probably, I think that's what really set Nazi off more in certain ways. I mean, there was the hug, like that, but the fact that she wasn't like, oh, this is my boyfriend, Nazi, or sort of like, oh no, I'm talking to like my pre from, you know, pre from life guy. And now like my from life guy is just standing here on the side. Like that was a, yeah, that was not great. That was not great. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is, and again, this is why we sort of said at the outset, there's sort of these two pieces that intersect about changing name and changing identity. Um, and like, it's one of these things that's hard. Like I remember uh, actually a, a friend of mine from Yeshiva, who some of you know, he's come to New Orleans a few times. His sister used to be our youth director and is now the um, cantorial soloist at, Shir- at a Gates of Prayer. Um, who like when we started rabbinical school, he was Eric and everyone for his whole life knew him as Eric. And then in the middle of the first year of rabbinical school, he changed his name to Eliezer as part of trying to like become seen as Frumer and what, you know, he's like, Eric is not a name of like a Frum guy. I'm like, um, and yet like, even so it's still, it's like hard because people who've known you your whole life with one name, like it's, it's very strange um, to suddenly, you know, 
go with some go with a different name and change your name and so forth. Like so it's one of these things that often people want to change their name as a way of demonstrating, no, I am a different person in certain ways. But then people who know you from the person you were before are like, you're still the same person. Like, what are you trying to, you know, like what are you trying to who are you trying to fool here? Um so that's like very much a, a thing there. There are my shots. Anything you want to add? Michael had his hand up and then yes, I have many things I would like to add. No, no only what I started just I have this recollection, and correct me if I'm wrong, that at the uh, ordination ceremony, Rabbi Linzer initially started to call him Eric until your friend right. stopped. Sure. I remember that. I think you're right. He said, I think no, you're right. I'm El- yeah, and he caught himself. Right. So were, you, what? were you at Rabbi Pernick's Chagas Micha? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, That's really okay. nice. That's very sweet. Um. The only thing I'll say as a person who does um, who does hug people of my opposite gender um, is that sometimes you don't know when a person has made that transition in their life. So, for example, I have lots of friends who I grew up with and then became more observant. But to me, I wasn't necessarily aware of that change in their observance because Either I wasn't around if they're going to a different school or I wasn't, you know, at Shabbos meals or whatever with them where that might have become more obvious or they always went to a different shul. So it wasn't clear to me when they changed shuls. Uh, and so sometimes that can also be an awkward moment. I uh, There is someone in my life who will remain nameless uh, who when I saw him for the first time after a long time, gave me a hug at the beginning of an event. And then by the end of the event, he had made it clear to me that he, that that was the last hug I was ever going to get from him. Um, and that he was, you know, Shomer Nagian was not going to be hugging me. We had spent our entire lives hugging and we grew up together. And um, so sometimes, though I was not offended in any way, sometimes you don't know when that change has happened. Whereas I'll use Rod Pernick as an example, I met him once once that transition in his life had, had already been made. And so there was no awkwardness about like, should I, should I not extend my hand um, or once I knew him, hug him, right? It was very clear to me what those boundaries were. And I think that in this particular case with Nati and whoever this guy was, I don't, I don't remember his name, that, that there are there are those moments where you are the person who knows not to, right? He goes to touch her in a very intimate way, right? He goes to touch her and she kind of moves away because he's not remembering that he doesn't touch her and she's trying to remind him. He remembers. (laughs) Hold on. Let me, let me go with my own story first. Um, And, and then, and then this other guy shows up and she very quickly puts both. <laughs> Goodbye, Rabbi Matthew Shapiro. See you later. It'll be hard, but I'll see you later. Um, very quickly gives him a very big hug um, without really even seeming to think about it. And I can speak as a person who is the Nazi in that situation that that's really hard. Um, it's hard to see a person who you know you're not going to shake hands with or hug or whatever, have that kind of a reaction, intimate or not, with another person um, in front of you. It just feels like, it feels like, like explanation is needed. Um, 
that that often the other person doesn't feel like they need to give. So I think that those those boundaries are often very blurry uh, unless they're very, very clear from the beginning of knowing somebody. Uh, Debbie. So in the same vein, um, you know, my family in Australia is Chabad, but they were not always Chabad. And right. they became more observant. And um, they were visiting in L.A. and a friend, we ran into a friend in a hotel. And she, in a very American way, went up to shake my cousin's hand. And he shook her hand because that whole thing about not wanting to embarrass yeah. me, you know? Yeah. I mean, I will, I, again, I will use Rai Pernick as an example and he can feel freely to talk for himself or I'll just talk about him. Um, but when we, when we went on this trip to Israel with a bunch of people from a bunch of different denominations, right? I, I don't think that it was clear to everybody how the men from YCT or YU were going to practice in terms of their, um, you know, shaking or hugging or however they were going to feel about that to certain to certain members on the trip. And so there are certain people for whom people who went to YCT or even went to YU, if someone had extended their hand, again, I was not one of these people, but if someone had extended their hand, they would shake their hand to make sure that, you know, we're not going to start off this trip putting you down, like I'm, you know, I'm holier than thou because I'm not going to touch you. And I think that's the right move. I think it, it makes, and Rai Pernick has talked about this a lot, actually, it makes for a much, a much more respectful, uh, a much more respectful experience than one that would put the other person down. I mean, it's, you know, we've talked about Nagia about touching a number of times. And I think, you know, one thing that comes up is this idea of like, Right. Touch. It's not that all touch is forbidden. It's touch that has sort of some romantic or, you know, yeah, let's say in some way sexual connotation, you know, connotations, even if very slightly that it's sort of there's a difference between shaking hands and holding hands. Right. Um, what's interesting is the difference. It's sort of like how right in Haredi publications, women's faces aren't shown because that might be sexualized. And you're like, what do you mean it's sexualized? It's a woman's face. Like, you know, but if you never, if you never see women's faces, then suddenly that takes on, right. Seeing a woman, a woman's face suddenly takes on a different, it's like, right. Suddenly becomes this like forbidden thing. And it becomes, you know, sexualized in a way that like normally it would never be for anyone else. So I think the same thing applies to touch that, you know, when you're in a world and you sort of see this with, Tihila and the and the guy from before, like when you're in a world where people are, you know, hug each other all the time, then like there's no sort of romantic interest signaled by hugging, because like that's just what you do. But then now when you're in a different place, like with Nazi, where like if you were to if you were to touch him in some way, even just like a slight touch, that would sort of suddenly have romantic um connotations because they are not people who typically touch because they're in a cultural context in which that's not commonly done, right? So you sort of see the like the culture clash play out right in front of you, where in one place when Nazi touches her, it's clearly with romantic, right? Sort of clearly trying to cross a, a boundary. Um, whereas with this other guy, it's not. Like it's just, yeah, we're hugging because we're friends. And that's what, you know, like that's how we've always communicated. Like, so it's sort of this interesting thing where you see both of those sort of simultaneously. Uh, I think Renee had her hand up first. So, well, aside from the fact that I found it extremely rude that she didn't introduce Nati and yeah. he was just standing there like schmo, 
mm-hmm. from a from a halachic point of view, given that she is now Tehila and now from it, it it was also not respectful and and um, uh, it, it didn't show the Jewish values by him by her not introducing him because it put it more on him more on the spot and it was more embarrassing. Right. And yeah, I mean, and this might be the first time that those two worlds have clashed so clearly and, you know, where it's, right. It's also a complicated thing for her to need to explain as she's leaving for her flight. Right. And so it might be the kind of thing where it's just like, whoa, two worlds clashing right here. Like I didn't think about, clearly she had had that conversation with Azaria. Azaria knew her past. Nati didn't. So Right, but she could have just introduced them. I mean, she didn't have to go into details about who he was. She could have just right. said, "This is an old right, friend." But it's sort of like she she hasn't unveiled this part of herself to Nazi yet, and now there's sort of no way to not unveil it. It's just sort of like wow, it was a given. It was right there. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Karen, and then Jeff. First of all, I um, <laughs> I think this guy knew her, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know if it was such a friendly hello, because he sort of knew her when she was making those photos of, remember, what that Nazi saw. So I, it could be that they were former boyfriend-girlfriend, perhaps. Mm-hmm. perhaps. Yeah. <clears throat> and so Nazi is clearly, because of the touching and stuff, it is a, they are in a relationship. And so him touching her or her in has more of that, Kind of, don't touch me. Um, I get that. I get that. Uh, and maybe I told this class before. I used to be the principal of a school, and one of the kids was very frummy. I knew nothing, nothing. And he, he won an award or he got a thing, and he comes off the stage, and I run over and hug him. And the teacher, who's not Jewish, said, do you know what you just did? <laughs> The answer is nothing. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. And like, <laughs> anyway. I, I, yeah. I mean, I, it's really, it's hard for me to talk on this topic and feel like I'm being respectful. Cause I, it's not a, it's not a practice. I, um, I follow, but I, I, I do think, and I know enough people um, who do have this as part of their practice, that there are, there are ways in which it is done respectfully. And there are ways in which it is done in a really putting, uh, you know, a way to put the person off a putting off type um, gesture. And the, the one thing that I, that I would say about the, the naughty other guy, did he have a name? Did we hear his name? No. Okay. Um, Peace is that, I, it's so clear that she's in a relationship with Nati, right? And so part of what, um, part of what I do understand in the, in, in her wanting to maintain that separation from him is that it is, it, or we assume it would be intimate or sexualized, <clears throat> excuse me. Whereas with this other guy, if in fact they were in a relationship once upon a time, you know, that, that could be seen as something that is, that, that is brought back up to the surface. I don't think the student, like a young student, right, who is getting an award is going to necessarily feel that from, from a teacher. 
And, and I think that it's just like different scenarios and different situations. Um, I want to let Jeff speak. And then I want to go back to Rai Parnik actually about the, the cultural piece, because I think that's a, that's a hard line to toe. But yeah, Jeff. I was just thinking that uh, the situation in the airport, I think it was a, you know, it's more of a gut reaction. It was a very awkward situation. I don't think there was a whole lot of forethought uh, given uh, I had a situation myself at one point. It wasn't a religious situation, but it was a woman I knew socially. And I saw her, and she was on her job professionally. And I, I saw her come into the room, and I ran over and gave her a kiss on the cheek. Well, she didn't react at all, I don't think. But later on, I thought, well, you know what? She was working in a professional uh, situation there, and that was a little bit forward, but it was, it, was a gut, it was a gut reaction. You know, so it wasn't like, you know, it was a lot of forethought. And I thought the incident in the airport was just an awkward uh, it was an instantaneous uh, act, and it was just, uh, you know, it was like kind of no way out of it once it happened. Yeah. I mean, and I think that's often the case, right? Like, I think in this case, you sort of see that where, like, it's that gut reaction thing of, like, as right, the way that, like, whenever you return to your childhood home, like, to your parents, you, like, revert to being who you were in your childhood home kind of thing. Like, it's, you see a friend, you see someone who, like, it's just, uh, suddenly all of that change that you made over the year, like it just, it, right. It, it just <laughs> like falls away because it's like, Oh, you, I hug you. Like, right. It's that, it's sort of that gut reaction thing. Um, and now, and then and she does that and was like, right, now what do I say to Nachi who I just wouldn't let touch me like at all. Right. Like now, now sort of stuck. And I think you're right. It might've been that like, there's that gut reaction. And then suddenly the, like the just being stuck between things and like having no idea what to do as a result. You know, that's really a tough situation to be in. Um, I want to ask you a question about the, the cultural piece that you brought up. I, how do you see that playing out in in places that aren't, you know, as stark as like Muncie versus, New, you know, Times Square or, you know, B'nai Brock versus Tel Aviv? Like places where you could walk down the street in I'll just use Los Angeles as an example. And you might be in a very from neighborhood, but then six steps ahead of you, you might not be in a from neighborhood at all. Like how, how culturally beyond geography, but how culture, like how are you playing that out in your mind when you're talking about this being a cultural thing? Like what are those boundaries for you in terms of understanding that, that cultural um, awareness? I don't think it's uh, yet. So I don't think it's not like, oh, I'm in Washington Heights and here people don't touch. But now I went to the Upper West Side where people do touch, right? Like it's like that happens to be true. <laughs> like, in, like in Washington Heights, it would be very like you would get where I lived for four years. Like you would be looked at funny if you were in Scholar by Scholar and went and hugged someone of the opposite gender. Like that would be not like shocking, but like that just was not done. Like, you, you know, very much like, you know, a lot of singles, but like you don't people don't touch. Whereas like Upper West Side is a little bit different. Um, I think most people, it's uh, it's more, it's less like, oh, I hug in this setting and not that setting. It's more like a case of someone who I know from college, who potentially I lived with in college because I had, you know, apartments that were mixed gender. Like, you know, I wouldn't see them and like give a nod from a distance just because like that's, you know, the relationship is just a very different relationship where like, you know um but, I, but if you were in sorry to interrupt you yeah. but if you were in if you were outside of yct you might not choose to hug them 
Is that's that true. true? That's true. Okay. So, so how is it for you that, that you decide, even if it is a person who, who you will shake hands with or you will hug or whatever, based on whatever your reasoning is, and I'm not asking you to go into, you know, every yeah. person you hug and what your reasoning is, but, you know, how do you decide when that's okay to be done versus versus not like she chose that the airport was an okay place for her to express that. Whereas maybe right. she wanted to have in Nachlaot outside of her apartment. Right. So I think, so I think there's a couple factors and it's like an interesting thing. Cause I never thought about this in terms of like the competing values, but like one value is Ayn Hara, right. Is like sort of the public image as it were. Right. And I think that's a big piece of, right. If I'm outside YCT, my rabbinical school, and it happens to be like, at HIR, the show where that space, like people hug, like it's, but, but if I was like in front of one of my rabbis from rabbinical school and went and hugged a woman while they were like behind me, like they wouldn't comment. Like they wouldn't like kick me out of school. It would just be like a little bit strange. Um, so there's that one piece about the Ayin Hara, like the, the sort of public image, which does matter. Like in Jewish law, there's like all kinds of things about not entering into certain spaces. Cause even if your intention is good, people will think it's, you know, you're doing something wrong. This came up in the, when we had the whole conversation about churches and non-Orthodox synagogues and so forth. Um, so that's like one piece. Another piece is the, you know, the person that, you know, it's like, not the right, what's the term? It's not sorry by like because that's animals. But like, I think like the person in front of you and like not causing them, you know, pain or like distress. And, you know, so that there's that piece, like not wanting to embarrass as well someone who like comes to hug you, right? So there's all these like competing values that, and typically you're not thinking and weighing, you're like in a split second making a split second call about like, okay, in the airport, that's a public setting where like people are hugging. It's not a from setting per se. So like, I think her split second decision, right. Is seeing this guy in the airport is different than seeing him in Nachlaot. And I think as a result, her gut in that moment was to hug because it's a big public setting where not everyone's from. We're in her neighborhood. That might, that might decision might've looked different. So I think there are all these things that were, I mean, in so many areas of life, right? You're making split-second decisions where you're actually balancing a whole bunch of competing values. Um, but you're not really thinking through each of the values. You're just sort of making a split-second call, which if you were to unpack, you would realize all of the things that you're kind of weighing. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes, it makes sense. And it's also really interesting to to hear you work it through. Because I think that it's it also shows the the elements of ambiguity, right? That there, that there are places in which you might not know anybody. And so if you happen upon somebody like that, it would be less uncomfortable maybe for you to be comfortable with uh, acknowledging that person in the way that you always do. Whereas if you were in a setting where you have a quote label of who you are and the person you've chosen to be that, that you, that you would, would acknowledge, I don't know, me differently, right? Because of, because of like the, the status that you hold and in that whatever place you're in where you feel that way. Um, I mean, I think that it goes for people who are not Shomer Nagia also, right? That I, I have a very different, I don't know, interaction with people in shul when I'm on the bima 
than if I was just, if someone else was leading and I was sitting next to someone and kibitzing and having a good time, I can't really, I can't have that same kind of playfulness, um, whether it's of the same gender or opposite gender, um, in my case, but, but the behavior has to change based on the position that you're in, uh, and you're not going to necessarily like hug somebody while you're on the BEMA, whereas you might, if you're at Kiddish or something, me personally, um, Okay, we're talking about TV shows in the chat. Fantastic, awesome. Uh, any other thoughts on this or on the name piece? The change of names? Yeah, Robert? Just unmute yourself, Robert. I was uh, taken aback by the uh, um, non-religious uh, unnamed old friend um, of uh, Gaia um, at the airport. He, he was talking to... Um, uh, Tehila, but but um, uh, he didn't acknowledge Nati, the guy n- nearby, you know, and and um, he could have said something like, "And who's this guy? Is it your husband or is it a friend?" You know, he was. Um, I thought that was kind of rude. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it is rude. I think right now, before we address this question from the Tehila side, now from the other guy side, I think. I think it was actually more an issue on the Tehila side. I think like, right. Typically if you, I mean, I would say if I go up to someone who I know who is next, who's with someone, I'm generally going to go up to the person I know and say hi and wait for them to introduce the person they're with rather than being like, Oh, and who is this? And they'll be like, Oh, I don't know. I just met him. You know, like, I don't know. Like, so it, it does feel like that's sort of in conversation. That's the responsibility of the person who knows both parties rather than the responsibility to ask of like the person who's just coming. Um, I would say, but yeah, I mean, I would do the same thing. I wouldn't like pry and be like, who is this guy? I would just, you know, cause sometimes people don't want it, you know, that to be public. So yeah. I leave. Sometimes it's, also it's sometimes not an easy answer. Right. right exactly. You can, al- you can always say, this is my friend, Craig, right? Like you can always say something. <laughs> that name just came up. You can always say something that isn't true, but then at least I'm a terrible liar. Like that would just lead to me having to explain myself, and she couldn't clearly couldn't explain herself in that moment. So sometimes it's just easier to not introduce the person um, or allow them to introduce themselves, so it doesn't seem like there's a connection. I don't know. I. Having been in that situation a few times myself, it is not always an easy thing to do. Uh, Eileen. I was just going to say, I thought that she was so responsive, so happy. I mean, her rushed up. She actually hugged him rather than his hugging her. So um, I I felt that uh, she could have easily just said, this is Nati. She didn't have to say who he was. This is Nati. This is so-and-so. She ignored Nati completely and was just so excited to see the guy. That's my my take on it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's possible that, especially, you know, now that we know that she had this whole other life, it's possible that in seeing him, she did kind of forget that she has this new life and that he's part of it. And um, as hurtful as that might be, that it's, I mean, not that she actually forgot, but that she was just so swept up kind of in, in acknowledging the person in front of her that she didn't think to even 
bring him into the picture. Uh, I think, I think that she was just trying to not have to explain things to him. Um, but, uh, but maybe that's the critic in me. Um, but yeah, uh, Steve or Debbie, or you're now off camera. So I don't know which one of you is raising your hand. Yeah. I'm just wondering, you know, with, uh, when, when, when that event happened, like there was, there was, there was this, the shame piece, like mm. was, was, was Gaia ashamed that, that she had become Tehila in front of that other guy mm. or in front of Nati was Tehila ashamed in front of Nati that she at one point was Gaia. You know, there was this, I think there was this shame piece that was going on that she just quit. She just couldn't quite negotiate at, at that moment. And it just kind of like just completely just, just kind of stopped, stopped her in, in her, in her shoes. So. Yeah. And I mean, my feeling that, I'm sorry. like it just doesn't feel like her relationship with Nazi has any depth to it. Right. Like they, like they just haven't no. You're like, like it just sort of has felt like they're kind of like hanging out they, like clearly with Azaria who's writing poetry about her. Clearly he knows this side of her. He knows like her and her history. I know they dated for longer. It seems like with her and Nazi, it's like, they don't seem to like really know each other at all. Or like, right. Well, so, don't you think that she's trying to figure out how to get to know somebody in this new version of her life? Like, I think she got that, to know Azaria in this new version of this of her life. No, he she knew Azaria from when she was a party girl, and then and then oh, they started true? dating, and then she became Balchuva. So, oh, I didn't know that. I think I, that. I, th- I mean that's how he made it sound, at least. I think no. I think that uh, personally, I think that it'd be really hard to go from experiencing relationships one way of your life even if it's not crazy but just like one type of version of relationship to then be in a very different type of relationship which is all based on communication because there is no intimacy through physical anything right there's no hugging no handholding nothing so you're trying to just communicate your way through a relationship which is very different than if someone's communicated through physical touch or intimacy in other relationships. And I think that, I don't know that there's no depth. I just think that there, that she's trying to navigate that and let him in, in ways that still feel appropriate without, without kind of taking that next step in a relationship, which she might have done in a previous life. I don't know. Also, also this happened just uh, after Nazi leaned over and was almost about to, uh, hug to him. Yeah. Uh, and then a minute later, the guy shows up, you know. So. Right. Oh, it's this. It's and it's interesting how Nazi's response to all of this is like to just go pry into her prior life and like right. go digging through her stuff. And you could see the reluctance she had to give him the key. Like, you know. His response isn't like, I need to talk with her about this. It's like, I need to find out who she was, who this previous version of her was, like, which is... So he's curious now. Okay, but he could ask her. Oh, yeah, no, I'm not saying that it was right. I'm just saying (laughs) that's why he's doing... (laughs) I think he should go through her stuff. No, I don't. I think that, I just think that he's curious and, and feels left out, right? He feels like he hasn't he hasn't really understood who this full person is in front of him. And so I agree. It was not the right way of going about it, 
Nazi doesn't always make the best decisions as we've come to see in the past three seasons. Um, but it does seem like he he's not doing it out of malice, right? He's not hoping to find something that's going to make him want to break up with her. He's trying to find something that's going to bring him closer to her, to an understanding of who she actually, or I shouldn't say actually, that's not fair, who she was in a prior life, um, I think. Karen really doesn't agree with me today. <laughs> That's okay. We can work it out. Okay. Yes, Karen. I don't think he's looking to understand her. Oh. Absolutely not. I think he's looking to see what happened here. That's not what I know about her. She's not telling me. She leaves and said, I'll explain. And the poet is saying, <laughs> She had a whole other life. You don't do that with a guy like Nati. He's going to go looking for the answers. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, but I don't think that she knows that. We know that because we're the watch, we're the viewers, right? I don't know that she knows that he's going to snoop to try to figure out who she is. She doesn't at all. Oh. She does not. Right. She doesn't think that. Okay. No, 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 no. I just don't think he's of a wonderful spirit. Uh-huh. Saying, oh, who is this person? Got it. Got it. Got it. And then she said, you know, we'll talk about it when I get back from my trip. Right. So she knew she had some explaining to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, she had a whole other identity, right? That she That she clearly had relationships in and clearly had experiences in and you know when you when you are in a relationship with another person romantic or not knowing who they are and how they got to be in this moment with you is a really big piece of that trust and that and that uh, you know foundation of friendship and building that uh and he feels like he's missed out on part of that which makes a lot of sense but the few scenes that we've seen them together nati and she yeah I- it does seem like their relationship is strange or, uh, or distant. Uh, like oh, interesting. They do a lot of talking. They don't do a lot of uh, background information of any sort. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think it, it, it's not the best situation between them. Yeah. Well, then she you seems agree with- to know more about him than he knows about her. Yes. Yeah. Well, then you all agree with Rod Parnick. I mean, I, I just think that. I think she doesn't know how to share pieces of her life that she's no longer practicing yet. And he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that switch that he turned at some point. Um, Again, this is not, I can't speak about this from personal experience and I'm not going to make Rob Pernick do that if he doesn't want to, but I think it, there is, there is a diff, there is an interesting, um, there is an interesting switch for people that you can speak about, a person who you were uh, before you decide to make whatever change it is, right? Whether it's your name or your type of observance or your sexuality, right? You could choose to to talk about those kinds of things, um, though you're actually not really supposed to remind a person of their previous, right? Just like with a with a conversion student, you're not supposed to remind them that they once weren't Jewish. You're supposed to just acknowledge them for who they are now. Same with someone who becomes Baal Tshuva. You're not supposed to say, oh, tell me about... 
all those raucous times that you had when you, you know, were going to parties and not ball tshuva. So you're, you're also not supposed to do that, right? You're not supposed to necessarily bring it up. And I think that, that she might be having a hard time figuring out what to share. Uh, and he doesn't have to do that. He just is sharing who he is and that's remained consistent. Um, forbidden fruit. What are you talking about? Meaning like, He's interested in her because Azar, this was Azaria's girlfriend who, right? Like that's a very naughty thing to do, to be like, oh, right. Like, right. We saw this previously, right? Like if someone else is interested in her. You think he's someone, interested, you think he's interested in her because he couldn't have her at first? No, I because agree. Azaria dated her. This is Azaria's like ex-girlfriend. Playing. He's not supposed to date her because it's his roommate's ex-girlfriend, which makes him interested in her. Right. We've seen that with Nazi like numerous times. Right, that that's a thing that makes right. We that's saw like the most classic love storyline of all things. Like, I that's like a Nazi. That's a that's a familiar Nazi trope. We've seen that with Nazi. Like, when a girl is right, just interested in him, he loses interest. But when suddenly they're now in another relationship, suddenly now he's interested. In them, right, we saw that with with Ifat. You saw that, like yeah, right. That's, that's a true. very the the girl who he proposed to. Right, like so. Whenever someone suddenly is no longer available, now he's interested. That's good. Oh, very good. That's a good point. Yeah. It wasn't my points. It was, uh, it was Judy's. Yeah. That no, yeah. is a good point. Yeah. Any other uh, thoughts or comments? What about the farm couple? That was kind of interesting. Like <laughs> she came up to, to visit Amir for the night. Yeah. And then she went back. I wasn't sure why she went back only after one night. And he clearly is hoping that she's going to agree to, you know, build a Moshav there and live there happily ever after. How about the fact that she called him Tarzan because he was wearing a tank top? I thought that was hysterical. It's like, have you, you clearly haven't been to America. Um, But uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's his happy place, right? If, if you, if there is a place that makes you happy and there is a person who makes you happy, you want that person to enjoy your happy place as well. And it seems to be that this is his. Um, so Even I think though he has a baby that. coming anytime. Yeah, it, it's kind baby. of interesting that he, you know, rather than being concerned with her and being wanting to be there to take care of her at this point in the pregnancy, he's still on his own journey. I mean, I was really a little surprised about that. Oh, interesting. I didn't read it that way. Yeah, I, I yeah, it's possible. I mean, I, I, I guess I just didn't read it as like from a self from a selfish point of view, I didn't, I didn't see it that way. Um, they seem to be in relationship with one another and also need space, right? They are in a relationship where they are not together all the time. Um, and so I think this is having never given birth. I think that she feels like this is okay. And that he's coming home. I think he said like in two days or whatever he said to her, um, and that seems to feel okay to her at this point. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I um, I like to see him happy because I think that he doesn't get to necessarily feel happiness in the other places um, that he's been pushed to be. Like when he went to yeshiva and when he was working for um, Rayut, and like those are those were not happy places for him necessarily. So it was nice to see him so joyful. And really taking care of something like he will when he's a father. 
Just, sweet. just have a fear that he's going to somehow miss out on that, that something's going to happen to her. And he's going to be on this Mojave and something's going to happen to her. Yeah. I, I even wow. thought that she was going to have a car accident actually leaving there. Hmm. Uh, yeah. I mean, anything is possible. Especially on TV. Especially on TV. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.